Langley Event Center. Your move. Ryan Dimitri. Left wing behind the net. A whole ton. Hardy at the side. Dimitri scores! Are you kidding? Unbelievable! The captain strikes again! Trying to go wide. He's going to step on Schmeeman. Byron to win it. Scores! Hello everyone, welcome back to Giant Thoughts the Podcast. I'm your host Stephen Hocko and we're in we have a good episode three in store today. We have James Henry joining us later. He's a former Vancouver Giants captain and current captain of the Adirondack Thunder of the ECHL. So it was nice to talk to him for about twenty or so minutes, kinda kinda get a bit of a rundown of his junior career, what he's done since the WHL. Um, we touched on a bit of the ECHL player relief fund that some of you may have heard about, whether it's on spin checklets or just general social media. Uh, so that's a fun conversation I have coming for you later. For now, <clears throat> there's some stuff I want to touch on, mostly Giants news in the last, I guess, three, four weeks that I won't get too in-depth on because I'm sure most of, if not all of you, have kind of caught up with it via social media, Twitter, Facebook, whatever it may be. Uh, but I do want to touch on it, seeing as this is a Giants podcast. But yeah, for me personally, last month I've just kind of been busy, been camping, lots of golf, uh, lots of work, just trying to enjoy the bit of nice weather we've had lately. Obviously, I would like to to get the, the show a bit more back on track, back to the, the every two weeks that I was kind of planning on having an episode. Obviously... There's not much news to be talking about, so that may be difficult, but I'm hoping to kind of counteract that with, with some interviews. So that's kind of what I've been doing. And thanks again to, to Ben Dooley and Dan O'Connor, my, my first two guests on the first two episodes. So yeah, with, without further ado, I guess I'll get started on the Giants news that's been within the last month. Obviously, the probably a couple of the biggest things is Michael Dick, um, named assistant coach of Team Canada's world junior team that will be happening in Edmonton and Red Deer in December should everything be happening on schedule. It's a great accomplishment for him. Obviously, he's he's been a part of Hockey Canada for for a couple tournaments already. He was head coach of the Helenka tournament last year. Obviously, there's more Giants representation on this team with Bone Byram also being de- invited to development camp for the world juniors. Obviously, he's Basically a lock to to play on that team again, as he played on the gold win, gold medal winning team last year. Obviously, there's been obviously there's been some accusations made, um, somewhat directed at Michael Dick. He hasn't actually really been named in anything, but I'm not going to get too in depth on that. Um, mostly because I'm not close enough to the situation. I uh, basically just there's not much more that I know about it than any of you guys know about it. So. I'm not going to speculate or anything, but obviously it's unfortunate to see. Uh, there's lots of changes that need to be made in this hockey culture that we have, and that kind of brings me into me wanting to talk about it a little bit. Once again, I, I'm i not going to get too in-depth on it because I don't, I kind of don't feel like, not that I'm not educated enough on it, just it's a bit of a, it's a, bit of a dicey line to walk across. Um, but here's kind of my opinion on the whole the whole hazing, the whole abuse, 
um, everything that, that goes on behind closed doors, specifically in junior hockey. I myself played three years of junior B. Obviously, that's not the, to the extent of the WHL or even the BCHL, but when you kind of peel back the onion a little bit, it's kind of the same. Off the ice, it's the same kind of culture. Um, it's a bunch of young kids, uh, most likely living in a town that they're not from. They're billeting. They're living with their teammates. And there's kind of an you kind of get a sense of you kind of get a sense of being a bit of a celebrity in that town as as silly as that sounds because in the big picture you're not at all but when you're playing on a hockey team whether it's in a small town or even a big town that you're not familiar with but you're you're playing on the the kind of the premier team of the town the, the team that everybody kind of looks forward to, to watching play every Friday Saturday night so people start to recognize you around town whether you're just getting a subway you're just getting Tim's, you're, anything, people start to recognize you, you're wearing your tracksuit. Um, so it kind of gives you a false sense of, I'm, I'm kind of at a loss for the word I'm trying to think of, but you kind of feel like you're a bigger deal than you are, and it kind of gives you a bit of, um, it feels like you're immune to anything, like you, you can kind of do whatever you want, you can say whatever you want, you won't have to worry about the consequences because you play for the, the hockey team. Um, so it doesn't surprise me hearing about all these hazing incidents, all these unfortunate, unfortunate abuse incidents. That doesn't that doesn't mean I think it's okay. It just means I'm not completely surprised in the stuff I'm hearing. Um, there's hundreds of more cases out there. I can guarantee it. It's just a matter of of players wanting to come out and and kind of tell their story. But the most recent one that's come to light has been in the WHL. Um, at the time it was released, there was it was all anonymous. But since then, it's been, it's been um, the player's been identified. I, I should have looked this up, but I can't remember his name. I believe it was from the 1981-82 season. At the time, it was the Billings Bighorns, and then they moved on to Nanaimo. Um, obviously, I'm not going to get into the details because they're pretty disturbing. But I'm sure most of you that are listening to this podcast have kind of read up on it, or at least are familiar with it. Um, very disturbing things. It's, it's like I said, when I saw the accusations and the, the types of abuse, I kind of assumed it was an older case because I, not that it doesn't happen nowadays, but some of the nature of, of the accusations, like the sexual side of it, um, just the general abuse towards their own teammate, it just seemed more of an old school mentality kind of thing to me. And sure enough, it's something that happened about over 30 years ago. So um, I've been lucky enough in my junior hockey experience, I have I didn't see anything or experience anything close to that magnitude. Um, that doesn't mean it's not happening. It's just I was lucky enough to never have to, to deal with it to, to any crazy extent. Obviously, there's, there's always rookie initiation, rookie parties, um, all that stuff uh, to a lower magnitude. But the stuff that's kind of coming out into the public is very disturbing and it's something that I kind of wanted to touch on because it's it's very real out there it's it's not something that's really going to go away anytime soon but actually I shouldn't say that it's, it, it's not as bad as it used to be but it's obviously still happening as you heard with with the case with the the former Kitchener Rangers player being forced to uh to snort cocaine at a team party which I believe that was only like three or four years ago so I shouldn't say it doesn't happen anymore um, I like to think it doesn't happen to as severe an extent as it did 
10, 15, 20 years ago. Um, but yeah, I kind of touched on this on Twitter. It's just my opinion on the whole hazing, rookie initiation, all this stuff towards your own teammates. I just really can't comprehend how you can treat your own teammate like that. Like locking them in a, for example, these are just some of the more, the more PG ones, I guess you can say. Locking your teammates in a, a bus bathroom and stripping them naked and telling them to pick change up off the ground. Just little stuff like that is just where does this stuff even first of all, where does this stuff even get thought about? Who's coming up with these weird these weird kind of rituals and what's going through their mind for them to to think that that's a a good idea for for a team bonding activity. If anything, that divides the team. It's it's always rookies versus vets, it seems like, which especially in today's day and age is such an archaic way of thinking like um i just can't comprehend how you can disrespect your own teammate to that extent to the point where you're causing permanent mental and sometimes physical damage on on the teammate um it's supposed to be a family on a hockey team you're supposed to be able to get to the rink see your buddies and all your problems are supposed to go away all your outside world problems whether it's girls school any family problems anything like that is supposed to go away the second you step into that rink but for a lot of players, as we're starting to see more and more, their stories come out, this is not the case for everybody. For some of them, it's causing more problems with walking into the rink, walking into the dressing room. That absolutely breaks my heart that there's people that didn't get that same experience where hockey is more of a release. It's more of a, a rehabilitating game and just a place to hang out with everybody that's should be your equal you guys are all playing the same level of hockey you guys are all playing the same town for the same team so it it's yeah it's just this is heartbreaking to hear all these stories because i i can't i can't speak from experience but i can't imagine going to the rink and just dreading it and and not wanting to to be with your teammates and to the extent of players quitting hockey at the ages of 17 18 19 it's very heartbreaking to see a lot of skill a lot of good good people quit hockey because of these kind of jackasses that think it's think it's fun to to kind of rouse your teammates a bit. It's kind of it's kind of sad, but yeah, that's my two cents on the whole thing. I kind of rambled on about that a lot longer than I thought. <laughs> Thank you to those who are still listening after that, but I felt the need to be said. So I'll kind of I'll kind of shift to the Giants stuff now. Um, obviously, not a whole lot of news with no hockey being played, um, but there is some stuff. First off, I kind of want, I already touched on the Michael Dick and Bowen Byram World Junior thing, which led me into, I guess, my mini rant. Um, yeah, coming up soon. We don't we don't know the exact date of the draft yet, um, as of June 28th. But obviously, the Giants are going to be having some representation in the draft. Uh, Justin sort of, he's in the, in the most latest rankings. Whether you look at Bob McKenzie, Craig Button, all those guys, everybody seems to have him in the. In the late 40s, early 50s range, I would say I would say the 50 range. So that makes him a second round pick, which is fair. That's maybe not that draft stock is maybe not is maybe not kind of showing his ability. Um, he's definitely a first round talent, if not a very early second round talent. It's just a matter of the team kind of having that slow start. He also had the slow had a slow start of his own. But boy, once the team kind of went on that that rampage, I guess you can call it, after the World Junior break where they had that 11-game win streak, because everything seemed to be clicking, sort of was a big part of that. 
as a 17-year-old player. He was... Obviously, the first thing that comes to my mind is that Calgary Hitmen game where the Giants came down, came back from, I believe it was a 4-1 deficit and went, came back to win 6-4. This is just off my memory. I, I should have looked this up, but he, he scored a hat-trick in that game. He almost single-handedly won them that hockey game. And that and I, that can be said for a, a few other instances throughout the season. So it, it, it sucks to see that, obviously. I'm sure at this point, the players don't really care where, like what position they're getting drafted. Um, they're just kind of happy to be getting drafted and have an NHL team take a chance on them and bring them into their family. But I would say give give sort of about those six extra games that were remaining on the regular season and however many playoff games that would have been played. And I think he would have crept his way into the probably the late 30s, early 40s in the rankings because he was only getting better. He was only getting hotter. Um, so I can only imagine just more hockey would have been doing him more good and good and good. So. So that's that's just the the only kind of Giants representation kind of expected from the draft. Um, Cole Shepard, obviously, he's been he's been obviously put on rankings too in the in the later later rounds. So it's it's kind of hard to say. He didn't have a full season. He had a, a bit of an abbreviated season due to his hip injury or hip surgery in the off season. So. Um, I'd, it wouldn't shock me to see him go undrafted, but I would love to see him get drafted. So, um, yeah, that's that's about it for NHL draft talk for the Giants. Um, the next thing is a couple of Giants prospects, Bowden Singleton, Josh Niedermeyer. They're both named to the U17 Summer Development Camp for team or for Hockey Canada. Obviously, these are two unsigned prospects by the Giants. Um, Singleton is currently verbally committed to the University of North Dakota. Well, Niedermeyer, who is the son of Scott, he's committed to play for the Penticton Vs of the BCHL next year. So a couple of unsigned prospects, but they're high-end prospects. And should the Giants be able to, to get a commitment out of one or both of those players, it'll be huge for, it'll be huge for the, the organization and kind of the path that they're continuing to ch- try to lead on. The, the Giants are on the up-and-up. They've had their dark years. Now is the time to, to make up for all those years with those picks they've had and kind of bring everything together. So that's that. And the import draft. The import draft is coming up. Um, today's Sunday. It's coming up on the Tuesday, which is June 30th. Um, the Giants hold two picks currently, the 30th overall pick and I believe the 90th overall pick. Um, I would imagine the Giants can use both of those selections as they're losing Milos Roman to he, he was an overage this past season, and their other import Michael Vasnica he'll be coming in as an overage this year. So it's it's not looking likely that Vasnica will be back because he'll probably have a hard time uh, beating out guys like Florichuk. Um, oh my God, I'm blanking here. Florichuk, Kanak Leeper, and and Nielsen as the overagers. Plus, he'd be a two spotter like Milos was last year as an import and an overage. So I just don't see him coming back, which has been unfortunate because he was, Vasnica was really starting to find his game as the season went on last year. Um, he kind of picked up when the team did as well. And he was one of the, one of the, he was a, he's a very good mid-range forward for the team at, as the season ended. So it's been unfortunate, but I would assume the Giants are going to make both selections in the import draft this coming Tuesday. So stay tuned for that. Um, Whenever that does, whenever the next podcast does happen, I'll be sure to touch on that. Um, yeah, and for myself, that's or for, that's it for news. 
there's not much, like I said. Um, just for myself, I have I have a bit of exciting news, or it's not news yet, but I have kind of figured out what I'll be doing for hockey coverage for the upcoming hockey season, whenever it does start. I can't say anything yet, so I'm leaving a bit of a cliffhanger, but it is a bit of a different part of the, the hockey industry. Um, it's something that I was, I've been interested in for a while now, but it'll also, how do I word this? It'll also, like my writing aspect of, of everything will still come into play. It's just something that's a little different than what I was doing before. I won't be doing as much Giants work. Like I won't, I won't be a, necessarily a beat writer for the Giants in the upcoming season, but I will still be around the team. I'll still be going to games as media, scrums and everything. This podcast will still be continuing, so I'll still have that Giants, um, that Giants coverage that that I've been continuing with the last couple of seasons. But it'll be a little bit more abbreviated than 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 um, these past couple of seasons. But I'll still be doing my best to stay up to date on the Giants. I've built myself a, a very good relationship with Dan O'Connor and the the rest of the team over the last couple of years. So I kind of want to kind of want to use that and use that for the podcast this podcast i feel is gonna really pop off when hockey starts again um we're gonna have a lot more to talk about we're gonna have some player interviews some coaches all that good stuff so um it's it's gonna be exciting times when when hockey starts back up for me personally and just in general so stay tuned for that i'm not sure when i'm gonna be able to actually say say what the news is for myself but i thought i'd leave myself a bit of a, a cliffhanger for those listening still and if you are listening still after all this talking, thank you, you guys. <laughs> you guys are saints. So, yeah. Yeah, but for myself, I'm just just trying to have myself a good summer with all the the social distancing laws, trying to, trying to make the most of everything. Um, like I mentioned before, I was camping last weekend up at Jones Lake, uh, just past Hope and Chilliwack. That was a good time. Didn't have any cell service. I mean, it seemed like the one weekend I didn't have any cell service, it seemed like the whole junior hockey world was kind of turned upside down um, with all this hazing stuff, the abuse stuff. Yeah, it just seemed like it, I came I came back on Sunday and I had all these text messages from Ben. I had I was just looking through Twitter, all this crazy stuff's been happening. So yeah, it's been been a bit of a wild time in the hockey world with, without there even being hockey. So yeah, I think that's enough talking for me. I think it's time to send it over to James Henry. He, he's very well spoken. I learned I learned quite a bit from the interview. It was nice to kind of hear the behind-the-scenes look of playing with players such as Evander Kane, Jonathan Blum, Craig Cunningham. So, yeah, without further ado, here's James Henry. Today's guest, it's fifth in Vancouver Giants franchise history and games played. He's a former Giants captain and is current captain of the Adirondack Thunder of the ECHL. Welcome to the show, James Henry. Hey, pleasure to be on. Thanks for having me. Uh, so, Giants fans will definitely be familiar with your name. You played, you played over 200 games, almost 300 games with the Giants. You did get into one game in 2006-2007. Obviously, that's the Memorial Cup season. What can you kind of tell us from that one game you got into? Um, was it was there much to it? Was just what was it kind of like being around that championship caliber team? Yeah, so that was kind of a, an interesting situation. Um, obviously, I was still playing midget hockey at the time and. Um, the Giants had kind of got into a little bit of roster trouble with some injuries and, uh, 
and I think it was Canada Winter Games going on at that time. So there was some players away from the team, and um, I got the call checking if I'd be available to go play. And it was um, it was like a midweek game in Kelowna, and uh, I got the opportunity to play with some really great players. I you know had some shifts with uh, Wacy Rabbit. Uh, Milan Lucic, uh, Michael Repic, and uh, you know, I, I just kind of went out there and I I played you know as hard as I could and you know tried tried not to overcomplicate things and you know I had some great scoring chances and you know some offensive play and I ended up getting uh, third star of that game so that was a, a real confidence booster for me and you know kind of an indication that I'd be, I'd be able to play in in the league and contribute to, uh, on the Giants. Then obviously the next season you you went full time in, in your first year in two thousand seven two thousand eight. Uh, still a lot of the same guys from that championship team. What what was the culture like in that room? Uh, kind of coming off a championship year. I think the expectations for for new players, first year players coming in, was you know everybody's work ethic needs to be as high as possible. You have high energy guys like uh, Spencer Mahachuk and and Garrett Hunt at the time who were who were kind of leaders in the uh, offensive end of things and you know their work ethic kind of set the tone for for what it should be and you know you also had guys that were gaining experience at the time like Craig Cunningham, Lance Boma and James Wright you know those guys were were good role models for me and uh, you know I just uh, tried to follow in their footsteps and you know contribute as what I could as a 16 year old. You mentioned Craig Cunningham. You you played with quite a few good names in your Giants days, like uh, Gallagher, Blum, Kane. Um, did you kind of notice that they were maybe a step above the rest, even at the junior level, that you kind of saw that they were going to make something successful in their hockey careers? I mean, you kind of look at the guys of Blum and Evander Kane. You know, you knew going into their their draft seasons that there was a good chance that they were going to be picked you know, in the first round and, you know, early on in the first round. So for those guys, you kind of had the the notion that they were going to be high-end players. And then a guy like Craig Cunningham, who didn't score a goal his 16-year-old season, but then, you know, goes on to basically, you know, earning himself a spot on an NHL roster not far after, you know, not far after being removed from the WHL. So he's a player that definitely put in the time and the effort to uh, to improve his game in all aspects and just kind of stick with things and, and not get discouraged by, you know, playing a full season and not scoring a goal. And, you know, he went on to being, I think, uh, player of the year for the, the Western Conference. And, you know, he was just a, a great player, great teammate, great friend, and, you know, he's a, a guy that I always uh, cherish my time with at, uh, when I was with the Giants. And you were kind of included in a, in a banner season yourself in 08 09. It was the best season in franchise history, uh, 57 wins. Um, what, kind, what, was, what was it like to be kind of experiencing a championship season or a very successful, successful season like that where it seems like you guys have a very good chance to win basically every night? I think you look at our roster and how deep we were, you know, some of the names that we've already gone through and, mm-hmm. you know, if obviously Evander, you know, had a, had a great season, you know, close to, close to 50 goals that year as a, as a 17 year old. And, um, like I said about, you know, Craig Cunningham, Lance Boma, James Wright, those are some, 
pretty hardworking guys that uh, made it difficult on other teams. They weren't always on the the score sheet as much, but they were you know players that that contributed every single night and. You know that work ethic was was a huge uh, point of our our team, and that led to quite a bit of success. Well, what what would you say your kind of role was on that team? I I'm I'm kind of aware of it. I watched those seasons, but for people that didn't watch, what would you kind of ex- explain your role as on that team? Yeah, I think at that time, um, you know, I would contribute as much as I could as a as a two way player. Um, I feel like at that point in my career, I was. I was blocking a lot of shots and I was playing a lot of time on the penalty kill and, um, you know, being, being, a, a reliable player at both ends of the ice, you know, kind of, uh, taking care of things on the fourth line. And then I think, you know, come playoff time, I was contributing a little bit more and, and, uh, playing, playing more minutes and playing with players that were probably getting a lot more ice time during the regular season. So I think, uh, if I was going to sum up my, my role at that time, it would probably be, you know, kind of the, the two-way centerman for for the fourth line, I guess. And then next year, your points basically doubled, your penalty minutes basically doubled. Uh, what do you kind of contribute to that? Just more confidence as it's another extra year in the league? Or how would you, what would you contribute to all that? Yeah, I think, you know, a combination of just gaining confidence through the things that I was working on. Uh, during the off season, and you know, learning from the players that were getting those opportunities ahead of me in, in years in the past, um, and you know, just kind of you know, learning what what successful players have done in the past to be more involved offensively, and uh, you know, you just physically mature more once you hit kind of the eighteen year old range, and you know, I think that's when when I kind of develop more as a, as an offensive player a bit. Obviously you got to play for one of the best WHL coaches of all time, Don Hay. What did he kind of do to, to help you refine your game a bit or help you improve year in and year out? I think it was just, you know, him harping on consistency. You know, you're, you, if you want to be a player at the next level, you have to be consistent night in, night out. Um, you know, guys can, you know, score a goal every once in a while that, or, you know, score multiple goals in a game every once in a while, but, you know, you want the players that are doing it consistently and, you know, make an impact night in, night out, not just somebody that shows up every once in a while, I guess. And then, your fourth year with the Giants, you're given, you're given a letter, you're given an assistant captain role, and then going to your fifth year, you're named captain, just kind of, kind of talk me through how that process went, did you kind of see it coming? Um, obviously, the feelings involved with, with being named captain of, of the Giants. Yeah, actually, in the, the season before, when, when Craig Cunningham was traded away, I took, oh, took right. over the C for a little bit, and I was injured. So it wasn't, wasn't like I was wearing it for very long, but mm-hmm. I did get a little sneak peek in what it would be like. But, you know, definitely in the, in the fifth season there, you know, going into training camp, knowing that I was going to be the captain and, you know, having that, uh, that you know, head of the leadership role and um i just always you know you kind of lean on the uh the other um leadership uh, players you know we had neil manning and brendan gallagher just those two guys alone you know they could have easily been the captains at that time and obviously brendan's work ethic kind of speaks for itself and how contagious that is and uh you know neil was more of a strong silent type but you know he was always doing the right things and he had such good character so you know, it's just 
if you want to be a good leader, you have to have other leaders around you that are doing great things. And I think uh, that kind of makes the job a little bit easier if you're the captain and you have those kind of guys uh, helping you out as much as they can. And be- before I get into your other your other hockey stops, what, what would you kind of summarize your time with the Vancouver Giants as? Um, obviously, you're there a long time. You're one of the, the longest tenured players in their history. Um, just kind of talk me through your experience with the Giants as a whole. I mean, obviously playing playing for the Vancouver Giants and, you know, the ownership group, you know, they they do whatever they can for the team. So you just have to be thankful for for whatever they've done. And, uh, you know, the the reputation of the Vancouver Giants is is such a great organization. And, you know, you just have so many players, so many top end players coming in year after year. And you just want to uh, contribute as much as you can and. You know, you you see the the ring of honor, and you know, yeah, always have alumni around at training camp and things like that. It's just a, it's always such a, a positive environment. So I think, uh, just you know, wanting to be a part of the history, you know, you want to be a part of a positive uh, team and a team that has success. And obviously, I wasn't on a championship team, but we were always at the top of the division for the most part. And you know, having success during the regular season didn't always carry over but I felt like our team was our teams were always ultra competitive and you know we always had players that moved on to play professional and I think that kind of speaks for itself as far as you know the the great organizations are able to you know pump out those players and have their careers uh, move on to the professional side of things. Uh, do you still kind of stay in contact with anybody from the Giants? Obviously it's been with the exception of the last couple of years, it's kind of been some dark years in the organization. They kind of had the, the big turnaround after all those successful years that you yourself were included in. Um, do you kind of follow the team at all and um, just kind of see what's going on with them? Well, as far as staying in touch with guys, um, you know, every once in a while, you know, I'll touch base with Craig Cunningham and mm-hmm. uh, Neil Manning and uh, Brennan Gallagher. But, you know, you do lose lose touch with uh, with some players that, you know, move on to different aspects of life or they're enrolled in school or, you know, some players go overseas and things like that. So you, you're not always uh, keeping in touch as much as you'd like to. Um, and then as far as keeping tabs on the team, you know, I follow on social media and I see highlights of, of games and things like that. And Whenever there's a player that's uh, being drafted or signs a contract somewhere, you know it always pops up in in the Twitter feed or whatever. And you know it's always it's always great to see those players uh, having success and you know being the the next generation of of the players that come through the the Vancouver Giants. All right, we'll we'll move on from the the Giants talk for yourself. Um, obviously, halfway through your your overage season, you get traded to Moose Jaw. Um, just kind of talk talk me through that. Was that a bit of a surprise? Did you see it coming? Um, obviously, they were also a contending team at the time. Yeah, I think how that that played out was a situation of um, things kind of were shaken shaken up a little bit in the the East, um, and you know, Musha felt like they needed to add another another twenty year old um, kind of with some with some offense in their game and. Uh, you know, at the time, Scott Bonner and I had talked, and you know that was a place that I I was comfortable with going to. But you know, it was only a situation where if I was going to a team that that uh, that basically 
was going to make a run for it and improve their team. And that wasn't exactly what was going on with the Giants at the time. They had, you know, given or traded away a lot of picks in, in previous years. So they needed to, uh, to hold on to those assets or, you know, gain some assets. So, um, you know, that was a, a situation that wasn't easy for, for everybody, I guess, uh, you know, you don't want to be trading away your captain, but at the time, you know, there was business sides of things and, you know, personal sides of things that, that were involved. But I think the trade worked out for, for both parties. Musha had a, a pretty, pretty good run there and, you know, ran into the, the oil Kings who ended up moving on to the finals. So, you know, that was, uh, you know, it's, it's a weird time, but you know, that's a, a part of the game and, I don't think anybody, or hopefully nobody, has hard feelings over over that. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, I think that was a, a big moment for for me moving on in my career too. Yeah, and it, you seem to be very successful for you. you. You finished off strong. You led the team in playoff scoring. Um, at that point, that was your third trip to the conference final, if I'm correct, right? Yeah, two in the West, and then the one in the East. Yeah, so just that's that's about that's about sixty games of playoff experience. So I'm sure. With guys like Morgan Riley, even though he was hurt a lot that season, Joel Edmondson, um, did you kind of bring that veteran aspect to those kind of guys? Like they're kind of younger than you, but um, you can kind of help them learn as as they get older and older. Yeah, I think uh, kind of similar to to the situation in Vancouver. You know, you have a great uh, support group in the leadership uh, committee. And, you know, I just kind of filled in as a support player for the uh, the leadership group that was already established there. You know, our captain was Kendall McFall, who was a great, great leader. And uh, and then we also had, you know, Dylan McElrath, who was a top 10 NHL pick and Quinton Howden, who was a first round pick. So there's there's lots of uh, lots of great leaders that were on that team. And uh, another 20 year old that was traded uh, to Musha at the time. Cam Breeze, who's a very successful player, um, you know, all of us just coming together and trying to trying to be a, a great leadership group, and you know, like you said, trying to trying to help the younger guys develop their game too. And I think we did a good job of that. So when it's all said and done, three hundred and nine regular season games. What can you take away from your five years in the Western Hockey League? You know, I think it was. Uh, you know, those are pretty formative years, and. I think, uh, you know, I developed into the person I am today because of that. And, you know, uh, you talk about work ethic and things like that. I'm not sure where I would be if I didn't uh, join the Vancouver Giants at the age I did. And, you know, you talk about playing for uh, one of the best WHL coaches of all time. And, you know, I think Don Don really, you know, hammers that uh, work ethic into you. And, you know, it's uh, it's something that, that not a lot of people can learn at that age. And, you know, I'm, I'm thankful for, for my time and all the experiences that I had in the, in the WHL. And then we'll transition to after juniors. You, you played a year of university hockey at the university of Manitoba before you decided to go pro. Um, this, what was the thought process between just the one season? Did you, did you only plan on playing one or two years of university before going pro or what, what was the kind of decision behind that? Um, you know, I had some family stuff going on that kind of led to that decision Mm -hmm. and, uh, it was just kind of not, not the right time for me, um, to be enrolled in school. And, you know, I just kind of, I didn't feel comfortable continuing 
um, at the university. So it was it was something that that kind of I felt uh, was necessary with the family situation. Okay. And you know, I definitely uh, you know I had personal success with uh, with the University of Manitoba. I was named, uh, you know, rookie of the year for Ken West, so that was a, a pretty good moment for me. But you know, there was no no plan as far as you know, only staying for one season or anything like that. It was it was more or less the uh, the family situation that I was kind of uh, tending to at the time. Okay, and you, obviously from there you transitioned to the ECHL where you've just finished your seventh season. Um, speak about those two years in Stockton where and how that kind of transitions from you guys moving from Stockton, California, all the way out east to Adirondack, New York. How does, how does all that kind of come down? Um, well, you know, one of the, uh, the most notable Vancouver Giants alumni is mm-hmm. Garrett Hunt, and he was the captain of the uh, Stockton Thunder. And, you know, he was my, uh, my way into the league, I guess, at the time. And um, I thought there was no better place to be than, you know, in the same dressing room as one of the leaders that I had when I was uh, a first-year junior player. So, you know, I played with uh, Garrett Hunt for, for another couple of years there in Stockton. And, you know, we had, uh, you know, a, a pretty good first year and then a really poor second year. Um, and then with the, uh, the AHL moving out to California and, and shaking things up there that that sent us um sent us across the country to uh to upstate new york and uh you know that's kind of where you know the next chapter of my life unfolded as far as hockey and you know personal life meeting my wife out here and um getting married and and then you know getting my green card and, and spending more time in the united states so it's kind of uh you know, how my, my life has developed, you know, not just uh, with hockey, I guess. It sounds like it all worked out for you in the end, hey? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So, it's 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 kind of after after seven years in the ECHL, obviously your plan is to go back. You're the captain of the team, I would assume. Um, is, that, is that dream of, like, the AHL still there, just trying to obviously work your way up a level, or are you just kind of fine with just riding it out and Adirondack with kind of your roots that you planted there? Um, well, last year I had the opportunity to uh, to go to the Binghamton Devils AHL camp okay. and, and play some some time with, with that team in the exhibition game there. Um, you know, that was a, a great moment for me. You know, I thought that I, I performed well, you know, mm-hmm. kind of in those situations with guys on tryouts. Um, sometimes you're just a body yeah. um, filling a, a roster spot for a bit. And, uh, you know, I thought I, I thought I played well and, you know, maybe some, some injuries early on in, in the regular season for me kind of, you know, hampered my, my chances of, uh, of getting a call up, but, you know, I'm happy with, with how I performed there and, you know, happy with how I've, I've done in the ECHL and, you know, it's, uh, you know, always, I'm not entirely sure what my, my future is going to hold as far as playing hockey, but, mm-hmm. you know, I'm, I'm very very thankful for all of the things that have been done for me and, you know, all the people in, in Adirondack, uh, you know, the organization have treated me well. And, I you know, I try to do my best and, and give back as much as I can, too, at the same time. And the, la- the last thing I want to touch on here is the, the ECHL Player Relief Fund. Um, obviously, that was brought on with, with the season being canceled due to covid 
Uh, kind of left a lot of guys hung out to dry. Um, just, I just kind of want to get your opinion on it and how it's affected you or your team personally. Well, it's kind of it's an interesting situation. I think mm-hmm. at the time when when everything was shut down, um, there was a lot of frustration from from the players. Um, you know, of having the season canceled so abruptly and and the players not being paid to uh, you know throughout the end of the season. But I think uh, with the work that the PHPA did and all of the players and you know alumni coming together and and uh, and raising money for the players, you know they were able to uh, to get some money into the players' hands and you know they prioritized. Uh, players that that had kids and families and you know they they did a good job of of trying to get that money out in a in a timely order so um you know at first i think there was a lot of a lot of frustration that was going on but after a while you know once uh once things got lined up and there was there was people that were donating things you know everybody is extremely thankful for for the uh the people that were donating and all the hard work that was going into everything so it, like I said, it was a unique situation. Obviously, everybody kind of was affected in one way or another by this as far as, you know, employment and things or health. So, uh, you know, big picture, you know, we're we're happy that uh, obviously we were able to get paid. But, you know, people are being taken care of, uh, you know, as far as their families and stuff, too. Yeah, no, it must have been cool seeing like podcasts like Spin Chicklets and guys like Paul Bissonnette kind of vouching for the player relief fund and kind of getting the word out there. They've had sponsors like Bud Light chip in like I'm not sure the exact numbers but I'm sure I'm sure it's been it's been enough to kind of make everybody happy like you said make everybody comfortable with their the, with their living situation until then until the season yeah back. exactly and like you said spin chicklets they did they did a great job and stepping up and you know kind of uh going to bat for us because mm-hmm. you know it felt like a, a little bit of time there were you know players were being left out to dry and you know, it wasn't, uh, we're not in situations where we're making as much money as, you know, the American League guys or the, the NHL guys. So, you know, kind of, uh, you know, those those people stepping up, you know, alumni, especially like you said, Paul Bissonnette, you know, he's a former ECHL player. So that kind of, uh, you know, made the, the brotherhood feel a little stronger and, you know, people weren't uh, weren't just kind of pushing us aside during that, that, uh, that whole ordeal. Well, that's all I have for you today. It's it's good to hear that you're you're doing well and you're still being successful after your Giants days. Um, I just want to I just want to say thank you for your time, and I'm sure we'll do it again sometime. Absolutely appreciate it. Take care. You too.